Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 3, Paul writes, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonour, bad reports and good reports, Genuine, yet regarded as impostors. Known, yet regarded as unknown. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, And I will receive you. I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Our Lord God, as we've sung together, we wonder at how sure the scriptures are that they're vital and urgent, true as steel, sharper than a sword. And we pray this evening, as we come to them, that you would please speak to us by them and help us to be those who hear your voice, to comfort, to encourage, to challenge, to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry. Well, I wonder... I wonder, who do you listen to? Who influences you? Uh, whose voice carries weight with you? And whose example do you look up to? Um, I wonder if you can think back to your school days. I know for some of you this is going to be a lot easier than for others. But I wonder if you ever had a friend uh, when you were a child who was a bad influence on you. And um, you thought they were great but your parents thought they were awful. 
And um, whenever you spend time with them, you always seem to end up in trouble. They always seem to lead you astray. And um, uh, perhaps as a child, you were... Um, you were blind to their bad influence on you. Uh, maybe you know full well. There's one or two smiles from this side of the room, and I don't know quite what to do with that. But um, uh, it may be that you were blind to the sort of um, the pain and anxiety that you were causing your parents by um, spending time with this uh, this person who led you astray. This bad influence. Uh, I guess lots of us will have had a friend like that. Um, something like that was going on in first-century Corinth as we come to this, um, our, final, um, our final section of the letter in this sermon series. Um, something similar was going on. Paul, um, the apostle, was like a sort of spiritual father to the church. Um, he'd planted the church. People had become Christians as he was there. Um, but now he's writing to them in deep pain and anxiety because they've fallen in with a bad crowd. Uh, Since Paul has left, other teachers have come in, teachers Paul calls later on in the letter super apostles, and uh, and they're really leading the Corinthian Christians astray. Uh, Paul's written um, the first letter to Corinthians to them. Um, He's written what earlier in 2 Corinthians he calls a painful letter. That hasn't come down to us, but he's been pleading with them to, to come back to him. And then here again in 2 Corinthians, uh, we've seen in chapters 1 to 5, Paul's been laying out his gospel and his pattern of ministry sort of in contrast to theirs. And then as we come here to chapter 6, we come to really the, um, the closing appeal of this section of the letter. And um, you might have noticed when it was read the sort of the passionate tone of this chapter. It's emotionally electric. Paul is sort of looking them in the eyes and saying, look, guys, this is urgent. And it's urgent because um, the issue in Corinth, it's not, um, it's not bad grades or a bad haircut. Uh, it's not even a bad tattoo or whatever that friend who led you astray in school might have led you into, but salvation itself. So chapter 5, verse 20, have a look back with me for a moment. Paul says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Although God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul writes to a a Christian church and he says, be reconciled to God. He calls them back. And the reason is because he is Christ's ambassador. You think about an ambassador for a moment. If you treat the ambassador badly, if you turn your back on them, well, the offense reflects on the king, doesn't it? By turning your back on God's ambassador, you're turning your back on God. And so in chapter 6, verse 1, Paul can say, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. You see, the issue here in um, 2 Corinthians 6 uh, and in the letter as a whole, um, it's not just church politics or preferences. Um, Paul is not a sort of grumpy church leader ticking them off for their wrong attitudes or something like that. He's terrified that they're going to walk away from the living God. And he's urging them, he's calling them, come back. Uh, The heart of the appeal is there in the middle of our passage in verses 11 to 13. Just look down at them with me. Paul says this, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, 
but you were withholding yours from us as a fair exchange. I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. Open wide your hearts, says Paul. Do you notice the, um, the, the emotional tone of this, this section? Um, he addresses them by name. He calls them Corinthians. It's a very rare thing for Paul to do. I think um, Galatians is the only other letter where Paul refers to a church by name. And it's the same sort of emotional appeal. See, he looks them in the eye and calls them by name and says, Corinthians, I speak to you as my children. A father writing to his spiritual children and says, open wide your hearts. Uh, the problem, it's, it's not Paul. He, or we're not withholding our affection from you. It's them. They're withholding their affection from him. Open wide your hearts to his ministry and message. Because you see, if your heart is closed to God's ambassador, well then your heart is closed to God himself. And so Paul is urging them, appealing to them. And if we're here this evening and we've started to drift from Christ or to close our hearts to his ambassador, to his word, Paul's written words in front of us, then then 2 Corinthians 6 will be a call to us. Come back, open wide your hearts. Uh, Two parts to um, Paul's call this evening. Uh, The first one is this, change your assessment of Christian ministry. Change your assessment of Christian ministry. And this is really verses 3 to 10. Have a look at verse 3 with me. Paul says, we've put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Paul says the shape of his ministry proves that he's genuine. um, Sometimes when people reject Christianity, um, it's because they see some um, hypocrisy or some inconsistency in the life of the person who's telling them. Let's be honest about that. But Paul says, if you look at his life, there is no such inconsistency, no stumbling block. Everything about the way he conducts himself commends the gospel to people. Now, there's no inconsistency between his ministry and his message, between life and lip. Paul's ministry is exactly what you would expect from someone who came with the true gospel, he's saying. Now, uh, that's important because the, um, the super apostles, these other teachers who'd come into the church, had a very different attitude to Christian ministry to the one that Paul had. We've been seeing that together, haven't we? The super apostles were, were very concerned with what works. And back in chapter five, verse 12, he, he talks about them as those who take pride in outward appearances. They were more impressive, more flashy, more in tune with contemporary culture than Paul. They had degrees from all the best universities and celebrity endorsements as well, letters of recommendation. And we've been seeing together that they really rather looked down on Paul. Uh, his ministry and message were too weak, too ineffective, too unimpressive to really reach modern Corinth. And they were here to offer something new, something better. And Paul says, no, 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 my life, my ministry is exactly what you would expect from someone who preaches the cross of Christ. 
Just look at the things he mentions. It's a long list, so we won't be able to go into detail. But notice, Paul, um, he focuses on his persistent proclamation. So um, the the second half of verse 4, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. The sort of headline phrase there is great endurance. In the face of all of these hardships, Paul kept on with preaching the gospel of Christ. No one could look at Paul's ministry for a moment and say, well, Paul's just in it for himself. You know, he gets his bread buttered by preaching the gospel. Uh, Notice the opposition, beatings, imprisonments, riots. I wonder um, how much someone would have to pay you to go to prison Well, Paul refused to be paid by the Corinthians because he wanted his message to be free and he went to prison for preaching the gospel. Hardships, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger. When people people hated Paul's message and beat him up and threw him in prison, he kept going. When, um, When it was hard and he missed meals and had sleepless nights, he kept going. And Paul says, this is what real, authentic Christian ministry looks like. The messenger of the cross bearing the marks of the cross, painfully struggling to keep preaching the message of Jesus, even when it was hard. Uh, Secondly, notice he he highlights his his godliness. Uh, Verse 6, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Interesting, isn't it, that when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit and the power of God in his ministry, he's not talking about the sort of impressive display that the um, super apostles were interested in. He's not talking about some dramatic spiritual experience, but ordinary godly living, humble holiness. Paul says, when you look at my life, uh, look at my private life, you see purity. When you look at his social life, you see kindness, patience. When you look at his uh, spiritual life, you see truthfulness and righteousness. Um, uh, great early church leader, Augustine, um, was a pagan. He became a Christian um, in the church of a man, uh, a man named Bishop Ambrose. Uh, it's a great name, isn't it? And um, uh, Bishop Ambrose was a great preacher, but what drew Augustine to his church was not his great preaching, but his kindness. And you see here, Paul says, authentic ministry is seen... In his kindness, not some dramatic, impressive display, but ordinary application of the gospel to his life, growing in godliness. The messenger of the cross being changed by the cross. Uh, And then Paul points us to his perspective. Um, Look, I think one of the questions that people are often asking about the Christian faith is, um, does it work you know, if times get really hard, does it work? Oh, what about if I get really successful, if I really make it big, will it work then? What about if people hate me and treat me like scum? Will it work then? And look at what Paul says about his perspective. Verse 8, 
through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. You see, Paul points to his perspective and says, in the best times, in glory, but also in the worst times, in dishonor, we kept going with Jesus, kept preaching Jesus. Though we were poor, yet we made others rich through the preaching of the gospel, having nothing, yet possessing everything, sorrowful, yet rejoicing. You see, Paul's gospel perspective again, points us to the authenticity of his ministry. He's focused not on an outward appearance, but on the inner reality of knowing Christ and looking forward to his new creation. The messenger of the cross with the perspective of the cross and resurrection. And it's remarkable, really, when you think about it, when you think about um, all of the things Paul is saying that he went through, that he went through it in large part for them. And yet they could look at his ministry and um, question whether it was impressive enough, whether it was powerful enough. Paul says they need to change their assessment of Christian ministry and see what it's really like. Perseverance through suffering in preaching Christ. Um, Godly living, being changed, the gospel perspective. And I suppose the question for us this evening as Paul says, open wide your hearts, is how wide open are our hearts to this sort of ministry? Uh, I know that some of you um, will be moving to a new town in the next few months to start a new job. It's, it, it's that time of year uh, and people are off. I, I know there are a couple of you at least in that situation. But let me ask you, are your hearts wide open to this kind of ministry that Paul models for us. What will you look for in a local church when you, um, when you move to wherever work is taking you? Uh, will you be looking for the signs of outward glory that the super apostles were really interested in? Or the sort of persevering in painful proclamation? The sort of humble godliness and growing and changing that Paul said marked his ministry? Uh, Will you look for a church that's big and impressive and comfortable and entertaining? Or a church that teaches the Bible even if they face opposition, even the bits that people don't like, even if it means the church is smaller than Fullwood or the music is worse or there are less people there your age? Will you look for a church marked with powerful spiritual experiences or humble godliness? Paul says that we need to change our assessment of Christian ministry to be in line with that of the gospel. Uh, You'll say to me, no, hold on, I'm not moving anywhere. I'm staying here in Fullwood. You know, we've bought a house now and um, uh, and we're not going anywhere in a hurry. Well, look, let me me just say a couple of things to you by way of application. Um, uh, Here's one. What do you long for Fullwood Church to be like? 
What do you love about Forward Church? Because, I mean, let's be honest. Um, although we're a drop in a bucket compared to the number of people living in Sheffield, there are, there are nevertheless some things about Forward Church that um, outwardly, in worldly terms, look successful. Uh, do we love this church because it's a big church? I'm thankful for great music, and um, thanks, guys. Um, you've really been serving us this evening. But do we love Forward Church because it's a church with great music or a church with a buzz or a church where there are lots of people our age? Or do we long for it to be a church and stay a church that first and foremost is about teaching the Bible, even if it's opposed, even the bits that people don't like to hear? See, it's not that the other stuff isn't good, necessarily, but what do we love? Because churches get the ministry that they want, ultimately. And if what we talk up is the outward signs of worldly success, if that's what's important to us, then we'll get that. But what we want is um, people who painfully do the hard work of preaching the Bible, even when it's opposed, even when even the bits people don't like. Do we love um, that this is a church where people are seeking to be changed by the word of God? Is that what we love about it, the growth in humble godliness? Or is it some outward sign of worldly success? Uh, Let me put it another way. If we're honest, do we love for this church to be a sort of um, comfortable and entertaining middle-class religious club? Or are we willing for it to be hard to be part of this church? Um, Hard because we're committed to serving even when it feels exhausting. Um, Hard because we're committed to changing even when we feel quite happy with our lives as they are at the moment. Thank you very much. Um, Hard because we're committed to doing things like um, telling our neighbours about Jesus or planting a new church even when um, some people might hate us for doing that. Now what do you want church to be like? Do you want it to be comfortable or are you willing for it to be hard? Paul says we need to change our assessment of Christian ministry. And then go on, let me have one more before we move on to the second half of the passage. Um, uh, This morning, Andy had us imagining um, uh, uh, Paul Williams being struck by some deadly virus. And um, you'll have to listen to the recording if uh, you want to know what that's all about. Um, But let's be nice to him this evening. Suppose Paul um, finally gets offered that professional tennis contract and and he has to... Goodness, the laugh there was just a little bit too loud, Paul, wherever you are. So, um, and he has to leave Fulwood Church to go and start training. Um, what will we look for in, um, in his successor or any member of staff or any home group leader or anyone in the children's work or the student work for that matter? What will we treasure and value in gospel ministry? Because, you know, churches in the long run, they get the ministry that they want, you know, and too many evangelical churches, if we're honest about it, are looking for um, some kind of um, corporate superman with great interpersonal skills and great management skills who'll upset nobody. Do we want someone who'll do the painful hard work of teaching the gospel from the Bible week by week, even if it's opposed, even the bits that people hate to hear? And do we want someone who will be committed to the sort of humble godliness and gospel perspective that Paul points to here? 
Paul says we need to change our assessment of gospel ministry to open our hearts to him. Um, Secondly, uh, Paul says, change your allegiance in the Christian life. Uh, This is really the second half of the passage. Change your allegiance in the Christian life. Now, there are two um, appeals in this section, two commands. Um, Verse 14, Paul says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. And then just over the page, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Uh, Now, let's be honest, um, these two commands or appeals, um, they're a bit of an abrupt change of gear, aren't they? The first time I read the passage, I I have to admit, I thought, okay, Paul, you know, um, what what are we doing here? And um, some of the commentators want to to tell you that this is basically a cut-and-paste job, that this passage actually belongs somewhere else and it's just been slipped in here. But of course, there's, um, there's no evidence for that in terms of the early manuscripts of the Bible. And I think actually it rather misses the point when you start to think about it. You see, I think the point is that if you divorce God's ambassador, you will inevitably marry the world. If you turn away from the true and living God, you will inevitably turn to idols. If you close your heart to God's words through Paul, or you will open your heart to all manner of other things. See, if the super apostles had a different view of Christian ministry, and we've also been seeing together that they had a different view of sin. Uh, a bit later on in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul sa- uh, 2 Corinthians 11 rather, Paul says that um, they preached about Jesus. They did, the, the super apostles talked about Jesus all the time. But Paul says it was another Jesus. See, they talked about Jesus a lot, uh, but they talked very little about repentance, about forsaking sin, about changing our lives to submit to Jesus. If you like, they preached to Jesus who was Savior, but not Lord. And the result is that um, all through 1 and 2 Corinthians, you can see Paul devoting considerable time to all the things that they're either doing or tolerating that Christians should have nothing to do with. Sexual immorality, uh, greedy and frivolous lawsuits, interfaith and idolatrous worship. Paul highlights all of these things in these two letters to the Corinthian church and says, what are you doing? You should have nothing to do with them. And here Paul says, change your allegiance. Change who you're bound to, who you listen to, who influences you. Verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Uh, We know the picture, don't we? Two animals yoked together by a wooden yoke, pulling a plow on a farm. And um, you may know that the Old Testament law said that the Israelites were not to mix and match the animals that were yoked together. You shouldn't get an oxen and a donkey or a cow and a horse and, and yoke them together. And it was illustrating a point, which was that God's people were to be a separate people. They were to be different They weren't to mix and match with other cultures and religions. Um, Some of you who've been getting to know me will know that I'm a hapless but rather enthusiastic runner. And one of the great challenges of of running, I think, is trying to find a suitable running partner. 
I don't know, maybe you've had this experience. Um, uh, I ran with one guy for about two weeks, and he was the sort of guy who, um, he, you know, I should have taken the clue from the fact he worked in a running shop. But um, his average sort of Tuesday night run was about, you know, 20 miles in the hills, and, and I was just sort of dying, trying to keep putting one foot in front of another, and so I thought, probably not him. Um, on the other hand, there was my school friend who wanted to do sort of 3K around the park and then stop for a bacon sandwich. But you see, the, the, the challenge is finding someone who wants to go the same route that you're going at the same speed and has the same sort of goals that you do in finding a running partner. And Paul says that the absolute same is true with the world in which we live. Those who do not follow the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not aiming in the same direction for the same goal and they're not traveling at the same speed. So Paul says, don't bind yourself together with them. Don't um, let them influence and shape you. Now, uh, Paul can't be saying um, that Christians should withdraw and form a sort of closed community and never talk to those who don't share their faith in Jesus. Um, In 1 Corinthians 5, he actually explicitly tells Christians not to do that. Paul would be horrified at the thought of Christians taking themselves away into monasteries to to cut themselves off from the world. You only have to look at Paul's life. He went round the the ancient world making friends with non-Christians and telling them about Jesus. Um, I've I've often heard this um, verse applied to the issue of seeking a marriage partner. And, um, And I want to say I think that that is a valid application of this verse. Now, Paul is, is quite clear in 1 Corinthians, actually, that if you're, um, if, you're already ma- if you're a Christian, you're already married to someone who's not a Christian, you should stick with it. But if you're single and you're looking to get married, it should be in the Lord. It should be to another Christian. And so I think that's a valid application of the principle. But we mustn't miss what Paul is saying in this context, which is not just limited to marriage, Now, here you have the super apostles who say it doesn't really matter who you yoke yourself to and what direction you walk in in life. And Paul is saying, be very careful about the direction that you walk in life. So let me ask you again, who are the biggest influences on your life? And are they swaying you to be like Christ or like the world? Uh, It may be that there's some um, well-known figure, whether it's a blog or a newspaper or a comedian. Uh, It might be a friend, a family member, a colleague or a mentor who influences you. Their voice has weight with you. You look up to their example. And my question is just, are they swaying you to be like Christ or like the world? Uh, Notice Paul says it's a black and white issue. Look at those questions again from verse 14. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? And that's another name in the New Testament for Satan. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Uh, What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Do you see, Paul says there's no keeping in step with the pattern of this world and with the pattern of Christ. It's totally incongruous. It makes no sense to be careless about sin in our lives. If I can um, say this reverently, verse 15, it's like having the Lord Jesus Christ for dinner at your house and also inviting Satan to sit at the table with you. You It's not just about having a few um, um, inconsistent ideas. 
it's relationally horrifying. Um, putting a, an idol in the temple of God, um, there was someone compared this earlier in the week to a married man having the poster of another woman up in their bedroom. You see, it doesn't make any sense, Paul says, to be bound, to be walking in the direction of the world. Now, why is that? Well, three promises that Paul mentions in, um, in these last few verses, three amazing truths that are true of you if you're a Christian here today. Uh, firstly, we're God's temple. Look again at the second half of verse 16. Uh, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live with them and walk with them and I will be their God. We're the temple of the living God. You know, um, in the new covenant, in this new era that we live in, um, God does not live in a bricks and mortar building. By his Holy Spirit, he lives in you if you're a Christian. this, This church building is not a holy place. Your life is a holy place if you're a Christian. So it doesn't make any sense to bind it in the path of ungodly behavior. Uh, Secondly, Paul says we're God's people. Again, the end of verse 16, I will be their God and they will be my people. We used to be alone in the world, but now we belong to God. If... um, Uh, If Lukaku ever actually um, signs for Man United, and that happens this summer, I take it that next season he isn't going to pop down to play the odd match for Chelsea. Do you see, God says we belong to him. We're his people. It's a beautiful promise. But it means that it makes no sense to be bound in the path of ungodliness. It matters how we live. Uh, Thirdly, we're God's children Did you notice that in verse 18? Incredible. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I don't know if anyone else is having this experience here, but as I get older, I notice that I'm becoming more and more like my dad. Um, I just just can't help it. My appearance, uh, a number of my mannerisms, I'm becoming more like him. And and that's bad news if you're young enough here to think you can escape that, because it happens. But you see, Paul says that spiritually we have become God's children, and so we're to become like him. It makes no sense to be binding ourselves to the path of ungodly behavior. Paul says, change your allegiance in the Christian life. Uh, If I can um, shamelessly steal a phrase, Paul says here that there are two ways to live. Sorry. Um, There are two paths to walk down, two lifestyles that you can yoke yourself to, And Paul says if we've become careless about sin in our lives and happy to follow the crowd, we need to change our allegiance this evening to Christ and to Paul, his ambassador. Chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything, everything, that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Your heart is not wide enough to love Christ and the world. It's not wide enough to contain them both. Will you open your heart to Paul? 
and by doing so to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are you listening to? Whose opinion carries weight with you? Whose example do you look up to? And are they leading you to be more like Christ or to be more like the world? Paul says, change your assessment of Christian ministry and change your allegiance. Open wide your heart. Let me pray. Our loving Lord, we thank you for the great promises that we've seen together. We pray that this week you would keep us from loving outward glory but instead long for, seek that ministry that persistently proclaims the gospel, that inwardly grows in godliness, that sticks with Paul and his words. And would you help us to cling to you, open wide our hearts to you, and to close them to those ties that bind us to another road. For Jesus' honor and glory. Amen.